Thanks for joining us on the Authentic Church Podcast. Let's jump right into this week's message. Today we we are on week two of our series titled Hard to Forgive. Because the reality is we all want forgiveness, but it's very hard to give out. Especially if you're in a situation like that right now and you're being tempted to take revenge on somebody because they hurt you, they devastated you, or maybe they broke your heart. And so I want you to remember the words of Paul as he spoke to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 12, verse 19 and 20, and this is where we left off last week. Uh, Paul stated, dear friends, never take revenge. For leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord, because only God is the just judge. So what do you do? Right? What is God telling you to do? Then he says, okay, if your enemies are hungry, punch them in the face. That's the, le- that's the message we would like to receive, right? But instead he said, if your enemies are hungry, sorry, you got to feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Then he says, in doing this, you will keep or heap burning coals of shame on their heads, meaning you will make them feel foolish because of the kindness that you are showing them. Now listen to the last two verses. Do not let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. And we know that's true, and we say amen to that, especially in the church setting, but it's harder in real life. It is harder when somebody has devastated you and hurt you and took your heart and broke it into pieces. So my question for you today is, can you truly forgive in this way? Can you forgive that ex-spouse who cheated on you and tore up the entire family and now everything has changed? Can you forgive that ex-friend who you loved and cherished, but they stole everything from you, everything of value, they took it away from you? Can you forgive that one person that murdered somebody that you love? Somebody who murdered someone in your own family. And so when we really say we can scratch the surface and say, I'll forgive. But when we go deeper into some real hurt in our life, that's when it gets a little trickier. That's when we're like, God, I can't forgive and I understand it. But they took somebody that I love. How can I forgive them? How can I let something like that go? Why do they deserve my forgiveness? It's very difficult, but I need you to understand these are the exact sins our beloved King David committed. Wait a minute. I mean, he stole another man's wife. He committed adultery. He stole from Uriah. He stole everything of value. Not only that, but he murdered him. And I'm looking at his character because, like I said, over the last few weeks, I I love the story of King David. And I've always said, I want to be like King David because he was so victorious. And we're studying from his victories, but we're also studying from his moral failures. And the reality is, in this story... It shows the depth of God's love that no matter what you have done in the past, God can still use you today. You were not forgotten in the presence of God because the Lord still had a plan for David's life. So the title of today's message is, It's Hard to Forgive Those You Love. It is hard to forgive those that you love. And last week I made this joke, not even thinking about it, um, because I said David's a great warrior and a musician, and I said he can knock you out and steal your girl at the same time. 
In today's story, that becomes a reality. I was not even thinking of that, but in today's story, it does become a reality. So let's go ahead and dive right into the first point, which is this. What has your attention will also determine your direction. What has your attention in life, what you look at, what you pursue, will also establish the steps in your life, where you're moving, where you're going. Okay, so let's start this story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Here's what it states. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when the kings go out to battle. Will you underline that right there? When the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all the fighting men of Israel, and they destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. However, notice this too. David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Isn't it interesting how the story starts off? Because it tells us as the kings went out to battle as they should, David instead stayed home where he was comfortable, meaning David was not where God wanted him to be. David was not where God wanted him to be. He should have been out fighting, but instead he became very cozy and comfortable with victory. For the nation of Israel had seen a lot of victory because of the hand of God. So in David's mind, I need you to see this, he's starting to become overconfident. They don't need me. I can stay in the palace. I'll send them to fight. We'll just see another victory. He became sluggish. And sometimes being comfortable is the biggest temptation we face. Being comfortable in everything that the Lord has provided for you. And we start to mistake that I accomplished this. I did this so I know best. And we become overconfident. And I'm giving you this warning today. The more overconfident you become in yourself, the harder you will fall. When you start to think that it's you doing all this, trust me, you will start to stumble over your own feet. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Listen to this. If you think you were standing strong. Be careful not to fall. If you think it can never happen to you, that's when you enter into your most vulnerable state because that's when the devil can get inside of your head. Oh, yeah, it's all on you, huh? You're in control of everything? Well, let's mess this all up. Let's see what you are really in control of when you're standing strong. Be careful not to fall. And I was reading the story, and I felt this revelation from the Lord. And God revealed to me, listen. Was David fighting the battle he was supposed to be fighting? No. So this reveals to us, when you're not fighting the battle you're supposed to be fighting, you may lose a battle you didn't see coming. When you're not fighting the battle you're meant to be fighting. See, a lot of us are fighting people, but the real battle is spiritual warfare. We should be praying over our marriage. We should be praying over our enemies. But instead, we're attacking them in the same way they're attacking us. And so we start to enter into other battles we didn't see coming. And the same is for David here. He should have been at the battle, but he stayed in the palace. And in his comfort, temptation came. So let's continue the story. Verses 2 through 4. Late one afternoon after his midday rest... David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. That must be nice, you know? And he looked out over the city, and he noticed, look at the wording here. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty. She was very beautiful. She was also, according to the scripture, taking a bath. Okay, so he should have looked away. He had a choice. He saw what she was doing. And he could have turned away at that very moment, but instead he started to ask questions. 
he started to give her his attention. And then, because she had his attention, he couldn't look away. He then sent someone to find out who she was. Who is this woman of amazing beauty? And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Notice how he's saying that. Uh, she's the daughter of Eliam and the wife, David, of Uriah the Hittite, just to try to get the message across right here. But sometimes we can be so blinded by lust or selfishness and the things that we want, we don't even see truth anymore. It's like a veil over our hearts. And so he heard that, but he didn't hear it. You understand? He heard it, but he didn't want to hear it. Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to his palace, he slept with her. So this teaches us a very powerful point. If David's attention had been where God wanted it to be, it never would have been on Bathsheba in the first place. The same is for your life. If your attention is where God wants it to be, where does God want your attention to be? First of all, in his word. To be in his word on a daily basis to understand his heart and his character for your life. And when you feel like you're going through a battle, then you take your attention and you praise the Lord. You look up. Some of my greatest victories because of the Lord placing himself in my life have been through me just shouting to the Lord. God, everything's falling apart. But I feel you. And I know that you're still here. Bring your attention over to the Lord. But his attention was not on God. Instead, it was on Bathsheba. And so I realized this powerful truth as well. When you are not where God wants you to be, you are exactly where the devil wants you to be. And that's a very vulnerable place. Because the devil wants to attack you. And notice this. A lot of temptation will come into your life when you are alone. Have you noticed that? Because that's your most vulnerable state. You don't have accountability. You don't have people in your life uh, speaking wisdom into your life. You're just by yourself. And the devil knows. And so what does he do? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 tells us, stay alert. Why? You need to watch out for the great enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, meaning your environments matter. Your environments matter to God. Why? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, bad company corrupts good character. Your environments matter. And so right now, if you're struggling in a season of loneliness, then being at the bar with a bunch of drunk people, it's not the best place for you to be. Not the best place for you to find a future spouse. I'm telling you that right now. You need to give your heart over to the Lord. For some of you who are suffering with addiction, then being at that friend's house is not the best environment for you to be at. If they're still using, if they're still giving into this, because they're going to allow that temptation to be right before you. And many of us know that when temptation is there, we can't walk away. Some of us don't feel strong enough. And we'll get into this. God will always give us a way out. But some of y'all are playing with fire. Instead of taking the way out that the Lord has provided, you're getting right up on the line. How close can I get? It's a little awkward. <laughs> but we get so close to the sin. So close until it's too late. So your environment matters to the Lord. If you're struggling with gossip, lead the conversation. It, it, your environment matters. Sometimes it's just changing your environment that changes you. 
It changes your heart and the way you speak when you hear people, people speak with godly wisdom instead of the way you've heard people speak before. And I've said this many times, but when you walk away from God, you also, wait, you also walk away from God's protection. Let me word it like this. When you walk away from God, you also step into a very vulnerable environment. Because the devil knows, listen, if he can gain your attention on this, then all of a sudden on the inside of you, there's a craving now. He wants to put that craving inside of you. He wants to give you an appetite for something God said wasn't for you. It's going to damage the relationships. You want to sleep around? You're going to damage your future. You're going to damage the character. I got better things for you, but you're going to break your heart. By giving into the pleasure at this moment, it creates a craving. First John chapter 2, verse 16, for the world offers only a craving. And again, notice the word craving because the world can never fill you up. You'll always want more and more and more and more will still not be enough when you chase the world. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything that we see. And pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father. But these things are from this world. And I need you to understand that many lives are wasted. Because we have not learned to turn our eyes away from worthless things. Do you have that discipline? Well, something's before your eyes that you shouldn't look at. Or it's a temptation. And I get it. I, I know the subject of this sermon today. But it's not always lust. It's not always in that direction. Sometimes it's just worthless things. Because what do we do? Most of the time, we're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. You watched about 50 cat videos and how to build something outside. You're never going to build in the first place. So why are you watching these things? But, but here's the problem. We can waste our life. You know it's true. We can waste our life. Five hours scrolling, looking at nonsense, but having no time to be in the word of God. To get direction. And so with the psalmist, listen to this. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 37, this psalmist states it like this. Don't let me look at worthless things. But notice how real he is with God. He says, help me. Live your way. I love this. What the psalmist is saying to the Lord is, I don't want to look at worthless things, but I don't have the strength to turn away. Turn away. I need you, Jesus. I need you, God, to help me turn away from the things I want to look at because my flesh really craves all these pleasures, but it's in bondage when I look that way. It's worthless. I want to set my eyes on you, but I need your Holy Spirit to help me to do it because the devil also knows the wrong appetite can kill your destiny when you start chasing the wrong things. And so my question for you today is, what are you giving your attention to? What have you been giving your attention to over the last 20 years? Is it the same addiction? Is it lust? Is it something that controls you? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it selfishness? Has this sin made you believe that you are a slave to it forever? Because that's a lie of the devil. Jesus came to set us free from these things. You don't have to be bitter or offended anymore. You can be set free from it all. Now, it's not an easy process, but Jesus will hold our hand because in every temptation, again, there is always a way out. And remember, okay, 
Look at verse 2. David, it says, David got out of bed, and he was walking on the roof of the palace. Then he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. And one pastor said it like this. He stated that the same stairs that led David to the roof could actually take him away. The same stairs that led him into the temptation could actually be the same stairs that would lead him away from temptation if he chose to do so. Because every time the devil tempts you, there is a way out. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I love how it starts off because it states God is faithful. Meaning the devil can't make you do anything. It could be tempting. You could feel the emotions. You could be enticed and be feeling like you're being pulled into something, but still, God is faithful. He will always rescue us from the enemy. So in every temptation you face, there's an open door to leave. And it says that he would not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand, which also tells us temptation could be worse. Think about that. Temptation could be much worse where you wouldn't leave, couldn't leave. But God says, don't worry. When you are tempted, I'll always show you a way out so that you can endure. I love that about the Lord we serve. He's faithful to always rescue us from the enemy. But what are you giving your attention to? Because that will direct the steps for your future. Uh, point number two, though, is this. Temptation comes from our desires. Where does temptation come from? It actually comes from our own desires. And I need you to understand that the devil is watching. His demons are watching. And we all struggle with something. We all have something in our life we fall short of. We need grace every single day. But these demons try to torment us by bringing these things back into our life. And like I said, maybe you got away from some people in your past. And when you're doing good, have you ever noticed that's when they call you? That's when they start texting you, just thinking about you today. No, that's a demon in your head. Like, I'm, I don't want to talk to you right now because if I go back, I'm going to do something I will regret. I know what you want me to do. I know why you're talking to me. And it's not because you, you see my life going good. It's because you want to bring me back down to where you are. Um, and, and people get offended with that. And they'll say something like, oh, you think you're better than me now? No, 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 no. I don't want to be better than you. I just want to be a better me. I don't care. I, I love you, but I just want to be a better me. I want to follow Jesus. Jesus has set me free, and I'm loving the freedom that's now in my life. I'm not going to back out of that, okay? But let's, all right, let's dive deeper into the story. First question for you today is this. How old was David when he saw Bathsheba? And a lot of us have thought maybe he was young, uh, to be honest with you, most of the times that I've read the story, I thought maybe he was in his mid-30s. But if you look at the timeline, get this, he was closer to the age of 60 years old. <laughs> Everybody went, what? You know? He is closer to the age of 60 years old, possibly around the age of 58. Grandpa still had it in him, okay? That's all I'm saying right there. He still had it in him. And, <laughs> and also... All right, Lord, take my mouth again. I'm so sorry. All right. <laughs> um, it also means that in David's life, he knew how to slay giants, but he didn't know how to slay the giant of lust on the inside. He was physically strong, but in this area of his life, he was spiritually weak. 
and he didn't know how to fight these demons. Remember, when David would play the harp, the demons would have to leave Saul. Yet there was still an area in his life, maybe he forgot to worship in that area of his life to, to cast that demon out. Maybe he liked the demon. Sometimes we become comfortable with our demons. Sometimes we like the addictions that are in our life. And so he didn't learn how to slay this. And, and this is what we're going to be talking about next week. If you know the story of David, this decision to commit adultery with Bathsheba messed up a lot of things. Uh, their family becomes so chaotic after this event, it could be on Dateline. Okay, it is, it is horrific. And what I just want to say today, because next week we're going to be talking about family, hard to forget family, um, because David fell into the sin with Bathsheba, he became an apathetic father. And I hate to say that because I love the character of David, but he became an apathetic father. And the reason why I think he did is because this sin, he felt like conquered him, so he didn't know how to teach his children to not fall forward to. He became apathetic. And this is something that we hear about, and it's called a generational curse. And what it means is maybe you had a father uh, growing up who, who spoke verbally abusive words towards you. Maybe he was physically abusive. Maybe he cheated all the time. And you said, I would never do something like that, but that's how you grew up. It was the environment you were used to. And so when you said you would never become that, you start slowly becoming that, making the same decisions. Maybe it was a mother that would just speak down to you, always critical never for you, never in your life, never truly a mother, never loving you and being there for you. She was always thinking about herself. And so now you notice with your own children, you're screaming at them and saying the same things your mother said. And it's, it's hard, but I want to encourage you today, Jesus and only Jesus can break generational curses. And, and what we're going to learn is how to slay these demonic entities and how to slay them at the cross. And bring them to Jesus to be free. Because, yes, okay, if the devil can get that lie in your head that this is who you are and you'll keep passing it down, passing it down, then it will be passed down. But the moment you start to believe, no, Jesus has changed me, I'm no longer who I used to be, then your family can change today. Your parents can change today. Your children can change today. Your marriage can change today. But you got to believe it in order to step into it. Only Jesus can break generational curses and I don't want you to become apathetic in an area of your life and keep passing it down and down okay second question is this though who is Bathsheba who is she and we know who she is because David asked about her and he got an answer in verse three let's look together uh, she is Bathsheba she's the daughter of Eliam she's also the wife of Uriah the Hittite okay if she's the daughter of Eliam, this also means she is the granddaughter of a man named Ahithophel. And we see this in 2 Samuel 23, 34, where it says, Eliam is the son of Ahithophel. And I know these are a lot of weird names that you probably checked out with. Okay, but there's a point to this. All right, so keep following along. Um, Ahithophel is David's closest chief counselor. Ahithophel, which is Bathsheba's grandfather, is the one giving David advice when he fights his battles. When he goes into the battles against the Ammonites, against the Philistines, it was him that was giving him the advice to see victory over war. Not only that, but even Uriah the Hittite, these men were part of David's mighty men. They were a group of elite soldiers. I mean, these dudes were bad. One of them is recorded in First Chronicles of killing 300 men. 
by himself. They were bad. But I need you to understand, they dedicated their life to David. They served David. They risked their lives to protect him. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 10. These are the leaders of David's mighty warriors. Together with all of Israel, they decided to make David their king. They served him. And so you may be asking, why am I showing you all of this anyway? Why am I showing you all this? These names that are hard to remember. These men were very close to David. Very close. They, they served in war and battle with him. He spoke to them often, which also tells us there's a big possibility, and many scholars believe this, that David had known about Bathsheba already. Possibly David knew about her. Possibly David saw her beauty before, and her beauty stayed in the back of his mind until the opportunity was there. And again, opportunity is always a test. Will you do the right thing or will you do what your flesh wants you to do in the moment? Because David knew Uriah was gone. See, that's what he heard. He didn't hear what the man was actually telling him. The man was telling him, no, she is the wife of Uriah. But what David heard, Uriah is gone. So here's an opportunity for me to do something I want to do. Could have been a thought, a desire. James chapter 1 verse 14 states it like this. Temptation comes from our own desires. And what do they do? They entice us and they drag us away. And the scripture will continue and say, but if you allow it to grow in your life, guess what it produces in your life? It produces death. It produces death in your relationships. It produces death in your marriages. It produces death in your identity. Because now you feel like you have fallen far too Oh, to be in the presence of God. I got an illustration. I'm going to ask these two guys to come out here real quick. And, you know, I'm a visual learner. And the Bible was very clear. I'm going to have you, Jason, take this. Go ahead and pull it on that side. The Bible was very clear that every day you open your eyelids, guess what? You're fighting a battle, right? You're fighting a battle. Go ahead and take that one. And, and some of us think the battle, here, slack off just a little bit, just come. Some of us think the battle's like this, like you're jump roping through life, you know what I mean? Everything's good, everything's fine. But really, go ahead and pull a little, little harder. The battle's actually like this. Every day you wake up. Do you understand that? Every day you wake up, it's a battle with your flesh. Your flesh is saying, hey, look at the attractions of the world. Go ahead. The attractions of the world are demanding your attention because if you give them your attention, you start to crave it a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. They demand your attention, but at the same time, God desires your attention. And the Lord's not going to force it upon you, but he desires it. And so he speaks to your heart, says, no, 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 look back at me. Look at the truth. You're being deceived. There are things in your life that you're falling for. And it's like, and the reality is that we're human beings, and it's going to be like this every single day until we leave this world, until we're actually in the presence of God for all eternity in his kingdom, then it won't be like that. But for now, there was a fight every single day. 
And as a pastor, I hear all kinds of things. And I've heard people say, why? Why would a good God do this? Why do I have to wake up every day and fight my flesh and think about the mistakes that I have made? Why does he give us the choice? Because true love is a choice. It has to be a choice to know his grace. In fact, sometimes you have to fall just to know how much he loves you and how he will pick you back up. And so if you're struggling with this and you want to give up, I want you to remember Romans chapter 7, verse 18 and 19. That's what Paul stated. He said, I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. He said, I know nothing good lives in me. That's my sinful nature, right? I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do the right thing, but I keep messing up. I keep going towards my flesh over and over again. Give me the next verse. But then he said this. He said, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Have you been there? Have you been there? But then he says, thank God. He doesn't stop there, but he says, thank God. It's Jesus Christ that has come and rescued me. It's through Jesus Christ that I'm now free from the attractions of the world, meaning you can let go. And and I just want to give you a very simple truth to help you overcome temptation. And it seems so simple, yet at the same time, it's so profound. Because all you have to do is actually give your attention away from sin and put it back on God. When you feel your eyes looking at worthless things, take your eyes and put them back on God. And every time he will grab a hold of your heart and you start moving closer to the presence of the Lord. That's freedom. Come on, can we give a a praise to the Lord and then also thank these guys for being up here. But it it is a fight. It's a fight every day. Man, just what Paul said, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. But thank God that Jesus Christ is the answer. Give your attention back to Jesus. All right, this leads to point number three, which is this. You can fool people, but you can't fool God. And I think when I say that, for some of you, it, it helps. It's encouraging. And for some of you, it terrifies you. Because there's something in your life that you're hiding. And you're trying to fool people. But I'm here to tell you, tell you today that you can't fool God. He loves you, though. 2 Samuel 11, 6 through 11, says, later when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, hey, surprise, I'm, I'm pregnant. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, that's Bathsheba's husband. So Joab sent him to David When Uriah arrived, David asked him, and this is where it gets a little weird in the conversation. He asked how Joab and the army was getting along. And then he asked how the war was progressing, which also tells us he didn't know. And then he told Uriah, hey, hey, Uriah, everything looks good in the battle right now. Why don't you go home and relax? And then what I love about the story, it actually says that he sends him home with some gifts. He sends him home with a little bit of Kenny G and some candles, maybe a little ushery mix. I don't know. He sends him home because what does he want to happen? He wants Uriah to sleep with his wife so that people would think Uriah is the one that got her pregnant. 
And this story reveals something very powerful for us all today. It reveals how we can recognize, listen, deceptive flattery. There's a major difference between a true compliment and deceptive flattery. Okay, how do we know the difference? To make it very simple, a true compliment will benefit you. But deceptive flattery is going to take from you. A true compliment is going to bring value to your life, help encourage you. But deceptive flattery means that person met with you to get something out of you, to take away something from your life. What is the red flag? Excessive compliments. When somebody starts giving you compliment after compliment after compliment, just be careful a little bit. I know that when my children come into the room and they're like, Daddy, I love you. Daddy, you're so handsome today. You look so good today, Daddy. I, I love you so much. What, what do you want? Like, go ahead. Ask me and tell me what you want. And I need you to see the same thing in this story. David is being excessive with his compliments. Go home, relax, here's some gifts. It doesn't make sense. He should be fighting. Verses 9 to 11, let's continue the story. But Uriah didn't go home. And he slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. When David heard that Uriah had not gone home, he summoned him and asked him, hey, what's the matter, pal, (laughs) buddy? Why didn't you go home last night after being away for so long? And Uriah replied, the ark and the armies of Israel and Judah are living in tents. And Joab and my master's men are camping in the open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear I would never do such a thing. Here's what I also need you to realize. David was not able to trick Uriah because Uriah was exactly where God wanted him to be. Even though I love David, he wasn't able to deceive Uriah. Because Uriah was exactly where God wanted him to be. But he also sees here that this is a man of integrity that he's dealing with. A man of integrity that serves the Lord and he will not be defeated. Verse 12 through 15. Well, stay here today, David told him. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. And David invited him to dinner. Listen to this. Even got him drunk. But even then, he couldn't go or couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. And he was hoping that him being intoxicated would force him to make bad decisions. But still, he would not do this thing. And again, he slept at the king's entrance with the king's palace guard. Now, this is when selfishness really takes over. When we try to cover up things in our life, when you try to cover up what you have done, I need you to understand it only gets worse. When you don't run to God and you try to cover up the bad things that you have done, the mistakes that you have made, it only gets worse. So David, the next morning, wrote a letter to Joab, and he gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest, then pull back so that he will be killed. Uriah had no idea he was delivering his death sentence. Because he trusted David. Like, I I need you to see that in the story. He trusted David. He served David. David would never betray me. David would never come against me. I don't know what's in the letter. I don't care. I just want to help fight this battle. This is my purpose. He was handing him his own death sentence. And a man after God's own heart is the one who did it. 
So again, the story just reveals the depth of God's love for you and his grace. And so let me say this again for a time. You can fool people. You can feel like you're getting away with murder. You can feel like you're getting away with everything, but you can't fool God. And everything hidden in the dark will be brought to the light. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, I love how this is worded. It states that you cannot fool God or you're going to make a fool of yourself. Listen to this. You cannot fool God, so don't make a fool of yourself. And then it says you will harvest what you plant. And if you follow your selfish desires, notice the wording here. If you're only living for yourself, if you're only trying to gain advantages only for yourself, then you're planting these things of death. And when they grow, they bring destruction into your life. You want something so bad? Take that relationship. But you took it the wrong way. You want that promotion so bad you cheated people out of it to get it and to look good in front of people. But what you harvested from your selfish desires, you now bring up destruction. But if you follow the Spirit, you will harvest eternal life. If you follow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that overcomes your flesh, you will see eternal life. Look at 2 Samuel 11, 26 and 27. Then it states, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. Notice the wording here. She wasn't David's. She was Uriah's wife. She mourned, and when the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became, oh, one of his wives. Notice that wording, too. See, the spirit of lust also robbed her, just like David robbed himself. And, and I did a lot of studying on this because a lot of us, when we read the story, we automatically think that maybe David forced her to come over to the palace. Possibly he raped her. We've thought about that before because he's the king and she had to listen to him. But usually the Bible is very clear if somebody is being raped or overwhelmed by another person. And the Bible does not state that David raped her or forced her in any way. The truth is we just don't know. It could have been a possibility that she actually wanted to go to the palace because maybe she thought this would be a better life for her. Yet it robbed her too. And now she lost her true husband, to become just one of the wives in a palace. And then soon she would lose a son. And it states it like this. She gave birth to a son, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. The word displeased here in Hebrew, you know what it means? It means two things. First of all, it means evil. The evil that David accomplished, okay? The second thing that displeased means, it means shattered. So what the Lord is saying it's this, David, the evil that you have committed has shattered my heart. Isn't it crazy? When we think about a broken heart, we always think about ourselves. But how many times have you shattered God's heart? Because you didn't want to listen to him. Because you did your own thing, because you walked away in rebellion. I want to pursue this relationship. Well, that relationship is going to get between ours. And you're following this, and you're going to be devastated and broken. You're shattering God's heart. Two. And what happens? Um, what do we do when that happens? What happened to Adam and Eve when sin first came into the world? The first thing was this. They tried to cover up their shame. They, 
didn't want to be vulnerable at all anymore. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. They suddenly felt their shame and their nakedness, and they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. But the second thing is this. They hid from God's presence. They covered themselves up from each other. They were ashamed of the mistakes that they had made, and then they tried to hide from God's presence. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. But I'm telling you, God already knows. He already knows. I was, I was reminded of a story of my middle son, Titus, uh, when he was much younger. I remember him coming into the room very early in the morning, way too early for him to be up. And he opened up the door and says, I love y'all. Good morning. I was like, that's sweet. And, and I'm wiping, you know, my eyes. I got a bunch of crust and stuff, and I'm, I'm trying to open my eyes and see straight. And there's something off because all over his face is chocolate. <laughs> and so when I realized what he was doing, yes, he was saying, I love you, and it was cute, but he was also covering his tracks because he got up bright and early to get into the candy. I already knew. That's how we look to God. That's how we come in here. He sees it already in our life. It is plain. It is simple before him. And he's saying, if you just repent, though, and give it to me, I will cleanse you. You've been holding on to that spot for a long time. Let me clean you. It's time to repent. It's time to give it over to the Lord. And this leads to my last point, which is this. There is no sin too great that God won't forgive. That's why I love this story. There's no sin too great that God won't forgive. The only unforgivable sin in the Bible is rejecting Jesus Christ as the son of God. Because he's not going to force himself upon you. So when you reject Jesus, you reject his forgiveness. But that's on you. But there's no sin too great for God to forgive you. But you have to run to him and repent. And there has to be a change. You understand it? Because God also knows your heart when you just want to do the things you want to do. Oh, God, forgive me. All right, I'm going to keep doing this over and over again. No, there has to be a change. Because when you encounter Jesus, there should be a life change that takes place on the inside. You should no longer love the things you used to love. And you may not understand everything, and it is a process. But repentance has to take place first. You have to confess what is in your life over to the Lord. And I'm looking at the story. Get this. David wasn't confronted until chapter 12 by the prophet Nathan. You know what that meant? David did not repent for a year. Because in chapter 12, the baby's born. For an entire year, he did not repent over to the Lord, give his sins over to the Lord. And so Nathan rebukes David by a parable. Please hear me. 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 8. There were two men... In a certain town, Nathan said, one was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had brought, and he raised that lamb, and he grew it up as his own with his children. Verse 4, one day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for the guest. Now listen to the wording. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. 
He must repay four lambs to this poor man for the one that he's stolen. And he has no pity, have no pity on him. And Nathan says, that man, it's you, David. It's you. You're condemning yourself. These are the actions that you have participated in. The hurt that you've caused upon God's heart. And you have not repented. You've ran away from him. Pursue your own selfish desires. Look at the wording. He said, you are the man. The Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you as king of Israel and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives and his kingdoms of Israel and Judah. Listen to this, please. He also said to him, if it had not been enough, God says, I would have given you much, much more. What is God saying? He's saying, David, I would have given you more to prevent you from doing this. <laughs> much more in store for your life. So many more blessings for you. But what you have done, this evil that you have committed has shattered my heart. David changed his language after that. And he begged for forgiveness. This also teaches us to be careful of the language you use for sin. Because when somebody else has done it, when it's them, it's very easy to condemn and say, I would never do something like that. I can't believe them, how evil, how awful, how wicked. I hope they really pay for what they did. But as soon as David found out it was him, his language changed. And he said, God, please forgive me. Forgive me of every wrong that I've done. See, here's what's powerful about this story. God chose David. God anointed David. He was a man after God's own heart. So that meant that God already knew that David would fall when he chose him. And that means for us that God already knows what you're struggling with. He knew that the moment you encountered him, the moment you cried out his name, the moment you ran into his presence and said, Jesus, please save me, and he showed up to save you. Guess what? He already knew the faults that were there. He still knows the battles to come that you don't know about yet. The ways you will fall, because we all need grace. We all fall short. We all need the love of the Lord. David, a man of God who had a heart after God, who also wrote part of the Bible, made some messy mistakes. And this teaches us concealed sin hurts, but confessed sin heals. <laughs> Listen to his wording here in Psalms 32, verses 1 through 5. David said, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven whose sin is put out of sight. Verse three, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Verse five, finally I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and my guilt 
my shame is gone. And so only Jesus can do this. And it's available for you today. And it's available for you watching online today, no matter where you are. This is a gift from Jesus to us all. So how do we forgive? How do we forgive those that we have loved? Um, Please understand this. Jesus has forgiven you. But there can still be consequences to your decisions. And we'll talk about more of that next week with David, what happened after this. And, and as a pastor, I've seen all kinds of things. I've seen marriage, marriages restored. God can do it. At the same time, I've seen divorce and crazy, crazy situations. Um, I've, I've seen broken trust and, and damaged relationships that have taken a long time to heal. So there is still weight to your consequences. Jesus has forgiven you. So how do you, how do you forgive though? How do you keep moving forward? And I pray that these steps can help you. The first thing we need to recognize is that we all fall short. We all need grace. Don't speak with two different languages about sin. Don't condemn other people. And then just run to God and say, please forgive me for everything. See, that's why the Lord said, listen, if you don't forgive others, I can't forgive you because look at the difference. Is languages how you're speaking about them compared to how you speak about yourself when you fall. So understand, we all need grace. We all fall short. The second thing is this. Your environment matters. If your heart is broken right now and mentally you're hearing all these crazy thoughts, you don't need to be around people that are not living for the Lord or who do not love the Lord because they're going to give you worldly advice that will lead to worse decisions. The third thing is this, you can hand over your painful thoughts to Christ. Paul said that we can actually take thoughts captive by the word of God. And and remember the psalmist that said, God, help me to look away from worthless things. You can say the same thing about your thoughts. God, I'm, I'm thinking this today and I need your help. Lord, please take this thought and force it to see your word. Your truth set me free. It's okay to be real with God and say, I'm struggling. I don't have it figured out. But I'm calling your name to rescue me. And the last thing is this. For God to heal your broken heart, you must give him all the pieces. A lot of times we like to pick and choose what we give over to the Lord. Listen, give him every piece. Every piece. Every damaged piece. Every hurt peace, every conflicted peace, every peace that put doubt in your mind, give it over to the Lord and let him be the one that heals you. Psalm 147 verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted 